Are you tired of hearing about mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you've come to the right place. A space where healing is central, but also normalized. Join hosts Danika and Myra as we engage in topics around mental health and keep it real while also giving you the work. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. All right, y'all, we're back this week with another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast. And as usual, we have a very special guest. But before we jump in, I would like for us to engage in a fun topic that I've been thinking about. Well, conversation. So in thinking about the 90s, I want you two to think about a sexy person and also like a chill person that if you were going to a costume party, you would dress would be these people. So think of something that's real fun where you're like, ooh, I would rock that. Donika, I'm going to kick it off with you. Like a Halloween party? Not a Halloween party. It's just a costume party. It's 90s. And let's say they're like, oh, you got to show up and show out. But then they're like, you're going to have two versions. You got a sexy version and you got a chill version. Who are you picking? Who's your top two people? Oh, my goodness. Um, (laughs) Like, I'm ready. Come on. (laughs) I feel like maybe... I don't know why salt and pepper comes to mind. I don't, I have no idea why they come to mind, but I feel like salt and pepper because I feel like they was real sexy. Um, but I feel like I would be able to like dress down and dress up with if I was salt and pepper. So, and I could choose whichever one I want to be. So <laughs> I don't know. I would choose salt and pepper. That's the first thing that's coming to mind. Um, that is a very interesting question. Uh, what about you? So you do a sexy version of salt and pepper and a chill version? Like, how are you going to do that? Well, I feel like, well, I feel like they be doing both too. They already do both. And so, yeah, I feel like I would do both. I could do the sexy, you know, what a man, what a man. And then I could do like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like this other version. I'm trying to think of this somewhere. I feel like they always sexy, even when, because back in the day, I feel like in like the 90s, even when they did like kind of like the chill, they would still be sexy. You know what I'm saying? Like even with having like the baggy jeans on and stuff, it was still so. Um, yeah, I would. Shoot, I I feel like I could do them both though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared to share mine. You're gonna laugh at me. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, my sexy one is sexy, but my chill one, you're gonna be like, "What the hell, Myra?" But for sexy one, I'm definitely doing "Crush on You" by Lil Kim. I'm gonna do all the looks. I can't pick it. Ooh, all that the colors. Yes, there we go. All the colors. All the colors. There we go. There we <laughs> go. For my chill one, I'm scared to say this, but I'll be the brat. Because <laughs> I'm going to like. I want to be chill. And like, every time people invite me to 90s parties, I'm always like, I really want to be the brat. But I feel like people are going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> so I just never get I'm just picturing ah. you with the braids. I'm picturing you with the braids. That's it. it. I can see it. I can see it with the beads and the barrettes on yeah. the end. I can see it. Right. What you thinking? What you thinking? When I, I grew up, I, I was born in 77, so I'm 44. So the 90s, I was like in high school and middle school. So, you know, you pick my genre here. So, uh, <laughs> so you said it. I was like, oh, my God, who was on MTV and BT at that time? So, uh, of course, my sexy... Is going to be my boo, Mary J. Blige. Yeah. I absolutely Ooh. love Mary. Yeah. She had that that hood chick sophistication going on. Yeah. And, you know, I just love that uh, that vibe for her. And, of course, sexy. Uh, so, wait, Mary is sexy. Let's switch Mary. She's bold. 
Yeah. So I'm thinking Mary J. Blige, but I also love In Vogue. Mm. So Cindy from In Vogue, I was just obsessed with her because she had like this. So I'm going to move Mary to chill because Mary's like, you know, she used to wear like the, you know, the jerseys with the yes. skirts and a hat to the back. And that was <laughs> it. I thought I used to dress like that when I was like in middle school and high school. Yes, I'm 44. I'm aging myself. I was cute, short and curvy. <laughs> And I had the little pleated skirts on with the boots. Uh, but in Vogue, um, Cindy from In Vogue in particular, oh, she just had this, she had this beautiful smile. She just had this, you ever just seen a woman with an aura? And it's yes. just, which, yes, absolutely. That's my sexy and my chill. Right yes. <laughs> so speaking of Mary J. Blige, I just got a shout out her latest documentary on Amazon Prime. She would have me listen to My Life in the Sunshine over and over the original version and her version. Uh-huh. Yes. Ooh, I, know, I love that song. Like, it speaks to my heart. I just spend every day. <laughs> I'll be playing when I'm rolling through Compton. I'm, I'm, I kid you not. My Life in the Sunshine. Yes. I love that it's song. It's, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. Yes, for real. <laughs> All right, y'all. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in and introduce our special guest. As you hear, Veronica's amazing. She's dope. So let's go ahead and talk about who she is. So Veronica is a therapist, adjunct professor, certified life and sexuality coach, in addition to TEDx's Compton Boulevard founder. She's associate director of Compton Advocates, board member for Compton Girls Club, and CEO of VCH Prosperity Consulting. A native of Compton, California, she is known for her community advocacy, including addressing the disparities in mental health care for Black and Brown communities. VCH Prosperity Consulting was created in 2016 to address the social, emotional, and spiritual needs of her community, Compton. The goal of VCH Prosperity Consulting is to ensure that people are provided the tools necessary to navigate the complexities of life, whether at home, in the community, or in the workplace. This is accomplished through individual personal development, coaching services, organizational wellness coaching, and professional development training. Veronica earned her master's in social work from the University of Southern California and is currently pursuing her doctorate in social work. Trained in various modalities, Veronica specializes in intersectionality-related issues, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and stress-related disorders with a focus of BIPOC populations. Wow, that's dope. So I'm so happy I found you on Instagram. You have popped up and I was like, okay. You ain't just gonna pass me by. You're gonna come on over to the podcast because you know I'm from Inglewood. My best friend's from Compton. And so anytime I got a chance to put somebody from Compton on, we coming on. We appreciate so, it. Like she has to join us. <laughs> so, you know, to kick us off, I would like for you to tell us about your journey to become an emotional healing coach and what that means so that we can give our audience a better understanding. This is always the fun part where I try to explain to people the difference between a life coach and a therapist, because as a therapist, and I protect my license and all that good stuff, right? Uh, I always have to be clear with people what the difference is between uh, emotional um, healing coach and um, therapist. And so um, just to clarify, I am a therapist, but I am still an associate. So what that means is that I still have to practice under somebody for people who don't understand the difference between an associate and a licensed therapist. And so during the day, my nine to five, I am the therapist at Chapman University uh, in the student psychological services They recruited me because they did not have a black therapist. And so the BSU requested a BIPOC therapist and they got me. So now I'm over at Chapman University as an associate clinical social worker, um, aka therapist. Um, but BCH Prosperity Consulting, my baby, my business, mm-hmm. um, 
And Myra, you kept saying counselor. I'm speaking that to existing. Wait till I get licensed. Uh, you speaking it to existing. Oh yeah. So uh <laughs> so with VCH Prosperity Consultant, I do do life coaching. And I always like to put the um, emotional healing, but I explain what that is, personal development. And so as a life coach, I just work with people on um, things that do not have to do with mood-related disorders. So I work with them on stress reduction, setting boundaries, um, life planning, visualization, um, mindfulness-based techniques and strategies just to help them be more present and be more assertive in how they are, communication. And I also work with organizations by providing social emotional wellness um, services for their org. Like how can you prevent burnout, um, mindfulness in the workplace? So I do those types of things as a coach, okay? And so um, that's the difference. So, you know, a therapist helps with like treating mental health conditions and helping people work through things such as trauma, uh, but life coaches, we just work on setting and achieving goals. Um, so I cannot work with you on mood disorders, anxiety disorders, any other mental health condition. And I like to say that because I get a lot of people in my DMs. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Can you be my therapist? No, I cannot be your therapist. Uh, I'm a life coach. You know, you can come to me and go to therapy. But even when I do my intake process for people, I do have a, a form people fill out. And if they are presenting with concerns, I actually tell them, you're, uh, I don't think coaching is a fit for you right now. Let me refer you to my network of clinicians, get some of that stuff taken care of, and then come on back to me and we do things. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I just work with people on things like setting boundaries, um, asserting themselves when it comes to sexuality and how people show up as their sexual selves, not sexual trauma. But how they show up as their sexual selves, like owning your divine femininity. Um, how do you get comfortable with your body in the state that it is? And so just different things of that nature. So that's where the emotional healing comes from. So it comes from being able to assert yourself in communication, being able to make a plan for your life, right? Being able to reduce stress using mindfulness-based techniques and strategies. So that's where the emotional um, healing comes from. If I hope that's clear, because I yeah, I was, <laughs> it's very, very, very clear. Yeah, thank you for that. I was wondering as you were talking about it. Um, I'm thinking because right now you like they say you're associate, right? right. So you're an associate uh, social worker. Right. And so when you become licensed, do you plan on going straight? You know, like becoming more of this whole like therapeutic like clinician, therapist type of thing? Or do you think you're going to stay being a life coach? I could do both. So that's the beauty of it all. Because number one, uh -oh. I could pay a lot of money as a life coach. I'm not uh -huh. going to sleep on it. Do not sleep on it, okay? Because uh -huh. uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only reason I, um, when I become licensed, I'll be able to open my own private practice, but I'll still be able to do coaching and therapy. So when I say that, that means I can still go into organizations and do employee coaching, right? So that means I cannot coach your client, your, your staff into greatness, right? But then as a therapist, I can now independently work on those people that I see, oh, you're not a fit for my coaching program. Because my coaching programs, I have structured programs. I have a 90 day, 60 day and 45 day. Right. So if I meet someone, I'm like, you're not a fit for my coaching program. I'm going to move you over to the therapy side. So now I'll be able to have that flexibility as opposed to just sending somebody out 
um, yeah. to my network of therapists. So yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. And maybe it's for MFTs versus social workers, but I thought you had to choose. I thought you can't be a life coach and you can't be a therapist. There's a lot of MFTs that are coaches. You could, you, there's literally a group on Facebook for Black life coaches, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing is, and I also took this training called Decolonizing Therapy for Black Folks. So I'm also trained in that. So the thing is, we've been institutionalized to believe things look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So we have been trained that it only looks this way, right? When people need different levels of healing at different points in their life, right? And so when we're thinking about it, life coaching, unfortunately, there is no board to govern it. There's no whatever. Somebody could just pop up and say, hey, I'm a life coach, mm-hmm. right? I, I really believe in being trained and doing what I do. So I, even though I have a master's degree in social work and I'm working on my doctorate, I still went and got certified to be a life coach. Then I went back and got certified to be a clinical sexuality coach. And now it took a longer time. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. But the life coach certification only took me like a week. That's because, you know, master's of social work, we already clinically trained, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but with my clinical sexuality coaching, because it is, uh, accredited and I can use that to start collecting ASEC hours, which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators and Coaches and stuff like that. Um, it took a little bit longer, but um, the thing is we have been trained that only healing looks a certain way, right? And so what I do is I understand my capacity in both. So that gives me more flexibility to address it. So you do not have, as an associate, I'm an associate, but as a life coach, I am a life coach. And so if I'm doing strictly life coaching things, I do not really put my MSW. I'll put CLC, which is certified life coach. And then when I'm looking more at the things that I do with organizations, of course, I want them to know I'm trying. I have an MSW. Um, So then I use my MSW because in the master's program for MSW, they teach us how to do uh, organizational planning. Um, leadership training. So they trained us in all of that. So I'm able to have that flexibility. The issue comes in when people don't stay in their lane. So it makes it harder for people to be more accepting of being a life coach and in the therapy aspect of it. Uh, Cause I've seen some things in some of these life coaching groups. I'm like, Oh no, you can't do that. I'm a depression coach. No, you're not. Um, so, you know, <laughs> No, you cannot do that. Just because you had depression does not make you a coach. Um, yeah. So just standing up. Yeah. I think if we had more therapists or associates or licensed, whoever, um, who were coaches, I think we could get things balanced out and we could prevent those who are causing harm by saying, I'm a trauma coach. No disrespect to anyone who's a um, life coach. And, and I just named your specialty. What I'm saying is there's special training and designations and certifications as therapists that we go through to get trained to treat these things. And then we have to continuously train and get recertified called CEUs to make sure that we're staying current and stuff like that. So if you are a trauma coach, you know what, do your thing. But, you know, we have to really be careful when we're looking at anything that has to do with trauma or mood disorders and we put the word coach behind it. Um, so that's just my opinion. I'm both. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I think about harm to none. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for breaking that. Thank you for breaking that down. I'd be like, oh my goodness, like what can we do? Can we not? So I think it's really 
is I mean, I think it's really dope that you've created, you know, created an avenue for yourself to be able to do both. And then it sounds like you're even thinking about the future where you'll be able to, like you say, have your own practice if you want to and be able to you won't have to refer out. So I think that's cool. But getting back to this emotional healing. Go ahead. Something I was thinking about reading uh, some of the work you're doing is like uh, this mindfulness based cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Different from like traditional cognitive behavioral therapy. So really quick, just to refresh our audience. Um, and cause we've talked about CBT before CBT is really just like a therapeutic style. Uh, and it basically is just talking about how your feelings, your mm-hmm. thoughts, feelings and behaviors work together, how basically all those things back, they play off each other. Right. And so that's what traditional CBT is. So what is the difference between the mindfulness piece of it? So Mindfulness-based cognitive behavior therapy, it focuses more on the somatic element of it. So, you know, like you just stated, CBT really focuses on restructuring your cognitions and belief, right? So that way mm-hmm. you can get a more functional view of the world. But when we're looking at mindfulness-based CBT, it is basically a combination of uh, restructuring those uh, cognitive beliefs, but also using meditation and an idea of being present with a non-judgmental attitude, aka mindfulness, right? So we're teaching people to be with mindfulness-based CBT. You're just taking mindfulness-based mindfulness. And you're integrating it, so people are more aware of the somatic element of it all. So we're looking at how people are paying attention to their body and how their body is responding, right? And how to just pay attention to their thoughts and feelings without putting something like a judgment on it or just being present with it. How do you feel where it is it's showing up in your body? Right. Mm-hmm. And so just looking at it from that perspective. So it's just like an ability to step back from any of those emotions that you're feeling. So that way you could be aware of it. And then, then we go from there to, re, you know, reframe it, restructure it and things of that nature. Okay. If, if that is that, is that fine? <laughs> I, I yeah, like, no, no, it's definitely. I hear <laughs> the mindfulness. Anytime I hear mindfulness, I think about like, you know, being present and using your senses. Yeah. So the mindfulness, like you just said, kind of focusing on your senses uh, and then getting into like the CBT piece of it, the, re- the restructuring. So first in mindfulness-based cognitive behavior therapy, the first thing you do is mindfulness skills and then you go into it, right? Restructuring, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And where does it show up for you? Because I'm really big on somatic because when we're looking at BIPOC people, right, which is black indigenous people of color, we are one with nature. We are one to use our intuition because in the past we had to use it for survival purposes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we're tapping into that intuition and when we know something wrong, right, and you feel it, right. (laughs) or you have an experience and that experience is still carrying in your body, right? So like a lot of people, when we talk about um, trauma and things of that nature, we always talk about now we're just managing the body's response too, right? So that's why you can't go to sleep, right? This is why you're having a hard time concentrating. This is your body's response too, right? So when I'm using mindfulness as a coach, I'm looking at, okay, you have stress in your life or this is how you feel about yourself, or you having this um, difficulty communicating. So how is this showing up for you in your body, right? What are these unconscious things that we need to make you consciously aware of? So just that is how I use mindfulness um, as a coach. Yes, I love that. I love that. Um, 
the, the next question is asking, so what are your favorite exercises to do with clients to help them explore their emotions, feelings in general? Uh, oh, I have so many. So one <laughs> <laughs> uh, of, I always, okay, I always crack up when my clients say, okay, Veronica, I heard your voice in my head when I was doing ABC. I said, okay, so that means I must be saying some stuff because they said, I hear your voice saying, uh-uh-uh, <laughs> or something like that, right? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. So what I, what I, one of the exercises that I created is called the uh, subconscious soundtrack, right? Ooh. And when I kept thinking about, I don't want my voice to be the voice in your head. You know, I'm honored that I'm holding space in your in your head like that, but take me out of it because, you know, I'll be saying some stuff. So as your coach, I don't want my voice to be the voice of your head. So one of the things that I created is called the subconscious soundtrack. And so I use this really, really cool app. They did not pay me to say this. It's called Nudge. So in Nudge, I put assignments and things for my coaching clients. And so they click on it. They have to do the activity. So one of them is a subconscious soundtrack. So I asked them, write a letter to yourself. Now we've all heard that um, exercise before, that love letter to yourself, blah, blah, blah. I said, but you, I want you to pump yourself up, like really go in. Don't make it super duper long, but just make it like a few sentences, right? Now you have to record yourself reading it like you read it to your girlfriend and you trying to hype her up. Sis, you are everything right with the world. I absolutely love you. You did your thing the other day. All of this, right? (laughs) Feel free to use it. Feel free to use it. And then when you're having those moments where you need to be motivated, instead of listening to the voice, me in your head, I want you to play that. Play it. Listen to it on the way to that meeting. Listen to it before you take that test. Listen to you before you tell that man to get out your house or that partner to get out your house. Listen to it. So now it's your voice that you're hearing that's affirming you, that's encouraging you. And that way you can, it becomes, now it becomes a soundtrack in your head. And so that is one of them. I love that one because to me, that's a good way to take me out of the equation and put you, because this is about you. It has nothing to do with me. I'm your guide. So this is your journey. So take me out, put you in. And so um, I like that one. And then my second fave, um, and I've been doing this one since 2016. Um, so I would love it when I always could reference Issa, right? When I see her do it, because of course we all been doing it, the mirror meditations. Oh, yeah. So, yes. So I love <laughs> mirror meditation, especially for those who are working on asserting themselves, Right. So it's really great. So really great. So I love the mirror meditation. So that is an activity that I do with my clients. And also when I do group sessions, so when I do group workshops, we do it differently. We still do the mirror meditation. So what I do in a group setting, when I have like my women's wellness groups, uh, I have another person come and hold the mirror. I'm all about sisterhood in the collective because, you know, we thrive in sisterhood. We thrive in energy, positive energy. Right. And so I have them have one woman hold the uh, mirror mm-hmm. and then the other person is saying, affirming herself like I am beautiful. And, and all the other women, I tell them, y'all got to be in the background going, yes, yes, you are. You are beautiful. You are. And it's always so <laughs> fun. And the energy just 
and then you can see the person smiling or some people might start crying because they're just overwhelmed but it's just so that when I do mirror meditation in a group the person another person holds the mirror while the person is saying their um, affirmations in the mirror but you got the rest of the women in the back just hyping you up you know like yes there you are I just oh I just love it so yeah those are two of my uh two of my faves right there (laughs) thank you so much I love those I absolutely love both of those and it's something about like you said the person actually speaking it out themselves so both of those still the person is actually saying the words in their mouth from their Mm -hmm. body and it's something about that that changes like the belief in it so yes yes I hope y'all listening, Veronica. <laughs> she started some gems on us already. <laughs> All right, Veronica. So we're aware of your community work, which feels so important. Can you mm-hmm. share with us some of the highs and lows of the work you've done with Black and Brown communities and how you have continued to work through those lows as they come up? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I am from Compton. I grew up in Compton and At one point when I was growing up in Compton, especially during the 80s, it was a lot of drugs, gangs, drive-bys, all of that. So when I got older and I decided to go back and get degreed and all of that, I'm like, how can I make change in my own community? And so one of the things I used to do, I used to be the president of the PTO at my kids' school, president of PTO, uh, chair of the African-American Parent Committee. I was on these different committees and I kept hearing the same things over and over and over and over and over and over. There's no good uh, mental health resources. I don't know where to go take my kid. I don't want to take them to the Department of Mental Health. They just, you know, I don't feel like there's a connection. No disrespect. I have a lot of people at DMH. Um, And so I was like, well, what can I do on a micro level to help impact the macro? Right. And so what I started to do is this whole um, groups. Um, at my kids' school. And then after that, I just started doing groups for the community. And so like a lot of the work centers on social emotional wellness, right? And what does it look like um, in the community? Because it looks different for BIPOC people, particularly Black and Brown people, because in the past, we have come to not accept what therapy is. Of course, we know we're trying to stigmatize it now. But the issue is, there's never been people that look like us giving us the service. And so what, a, lot of, a lot of the things that I focus on is how do we reconnect people to social emotional wellness and making them okay with mental health therapy. And when I, when I look at working through the lows, the lows is generally when I have to recalibrate myself because it's a lot. I hear a lot. I hear a lot. And there's been times where I just have to sit and I just cry or I have to process it. Or sometimes if I don't know what to offer this person as far as a resource, because guess what? They may be undocumented. They may not have the money to pay a therapist. And I'm noticing with a lot of black and brown um, therapists, they do private pay, which means private pays means that they um, only take cash for services. Um, a lot of them only do private pay because they're not getting enough money when they're on insurance panels, right? And so how do I help people get access to resources, right, when they don't have money, when they don't have a card, when it's just so many barriers to mental health care, particularly 
uh, where I am, which is a large black and brown community. It's just, and clinicians who are bilingual or who do ASL, right? Could we keep forgetting about the deaf and hearing impaired community, right? Mm-hmm. And so when, uh, when working through all of that, it's just a lot for myself. So luckily I have my own therapist. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful husband who, you know, holds space for me. Uh, and then I have a great network here in Compton where we're working um, on addressing that barrier. So I'm just going to leave that there. So we're working on addressing that barrier, which is why I am hurrying up to get licensed because when we're looking at, I had someone contact me yesterday about an issue and I was like, where do I send this person? A lot of people in my network are full. A lot of people in my network are only doing cash pay right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so those are the, those are the hard parts. Those are the hard parts when, when I'm working with parents to restructure the way that they're talking to their children or how they talk to authority figures in the community, particularly at school sites, how they talk to each other. It is draining. When I say draining, I had this one individual, I was working with her to quit cussing her baby out. So I'm like, okay, do you want, do you like getting cussed out? No, nobody better not cuss me out. Cause somebody cussed me out. Okay. So (laughs) how do you think your child feels? So I have to really go against people to unlearn what we've been taught. I had somebody get mad at me. I did a workshop for parents um, on toxic parenting mm. in, 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 the, in, the, in the community. And I said, we do not own our children. Yes. When I say that became a longer uh, workshop than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. You know, we're built for this. When I say we, I also mean you, Danica, and you, Myra. We're built for this. But it's just when people in the community have been traumatized or feel left behind or feel unseen or feel unheard, they feel like they have no power, no control, it shows up in different ways. So it shows up in the way they talk to the cashier at the grocery store. It shows up in the way they interact with people on social media. It shows up in the way that they talk to their children, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're seeking power and control. They want to be seen. And even if they're seen in a negative way, at least they are being seen and they are being heard. So how do we teach people how to do it differently? Which is always, um, which is all, I'm in it to win it. So redirection, um, I've learned how to control my voice and my tone and my hands. I'm from Compton, you got to keep your hands, like, you can't be talking like this. Uh, <laughs> can't be talking, people are like, oh, you try to throw those hands. No, but uh, just I've learned to monitor myself, monitor my voice, my tone, my body language, so I can be present for people to help restructure how they see things and how they operate in things. And so those are the lows that I'm still working through because it is a macro issue, but we have to start at a micro level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that is, ooh, that's it. I'm sorry. That's, that's... <laughs> Don't be sorry. We thank you for the work <laughs> that you do. It's so important that, you know, in the communities that we come from, that we are doing this work because 
only us, you being a Compton native, living in Compton, doing this work, you're going to be the best person for that work. So I want to thank you for, you know, doing that work and working towards your licensure. You know, I hope that you're close to the end. I know it's a long road. (laughs) How many hours do you have left? I think I still have like a year left. Okay. You almost Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I got to pick up. That's why I chat, man. I was like, give me 35. (laughs) (laughs) You almost there. Yes, yes. The work that you're doing and, you know, you're involved in the community in a lot of different ways and in ways that you're seeing a lot of that needs to be done and a lot of work that needs to be done is being done by you. So that's valuable. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, and thinking about your work, I had read on your bio something about happiness. Mm-hmm. It really stood out to me because, you know, in conversations with friends, I'm always talking about like happiness. Is it something that, you know, we can with, with that we can sustain over time? Is it something that comes and goes? Like, I'm just so curious about it. Like I'm always reading about it. I'm just mm-hmm. so curious about it. And so in thinking about your work to help individuals to find their happiness, what is something you can tell someone who feels like their happiness is far away or something mm-hmm. they can't attain? And see, and I and I also like to happiness is such a subjective term, isn't it? Um, yeah. Like, what is happiness, right? Is it toxic positivity? Um, like, what is it? <laughs> so, first of all, I always, you know, meet people where they are, and we come up. This is with that. With what I do in my coaching is like, what? How do you define happy? Forget the dictionary, forget old girl on social media who posts every day about how happy she is, right? Um, how do you define it? Because we have to look at how people define it for themselves and build from there. And that way they could tap into gratitude. I love gratitude work, right? Because if you could be grateful for something, mm-hmm. you could find that path to what happy is for you. Because happy is a subjective term. And so I love to do gratitude work with people. And what does that look like? Like one thing that you're grateful for, right? And then also addressing, making sure people are not existing in toxic positivity, thinking that that is their path to happiness. I always tell people, feel what you feel. Feel what you feel and be grateful and happy that you can feel, that you can express Mm -hmm. a range of emotions, right? And that you work through it. So also um, ensuring people that happiness could also be, guess what? I made it out on the other side, Right. And also being able to recognize, like when my when people I'm working with recognize, oh my God, I did A, B, C, D, and E, and I'm so happy that I caught it. So mm-hmm. making sure that we're we are not focusing on that happiness and smiling all the time, rainbows. What does it look like for you? It's the same thing when I say safe spaces, right? Um, I started, um, I like to say that word, but then I also have to define that as well because some people are happy in their safe place, right? But some people don't know what safety feels like. So same thing. Like, how do you define safe? And once you define it and you visualize it, you can understand it. Then that can also give you the space now to tap into what can make you happy. Because if you're not feeling safe and secure, you're not going to be worried about what makes you happy. Right. Because you're like, uh, yeah, that's not here. So making sure people have these definitions for themselves. So that's why with coaching, I guide people to creating the narrative for themselves. I don't give them my narrative. I don't give them my definition. This is their life, their journey. They are the expert of their life. They just need a little bit help on that journey. So as a coach, I am guiding them 
on there. So what does it look like to be happy? How do you define happiness? What does it look like to you in the past? What did you think made you happy? Because then you realize it may not have been happiness. It may have been thriving or survival or whatever. So we have to define it for them, right? Because when we make it tangible and we make it realistic, then it doesn't seem so far away. So you have to define it by defining it in their terms and their voice. Now it seems more attainable because now it seems more realistic because they're not basing it off of something else. They're basing it on what it means to them. So, yeah, that is uh, that is generally how I help people get closer to what their happiness is. Yeah, having them define it. Thank you. Um, there is this book that I had read, I want to say like when I was in high school, which like sparked my interest in happiness and the uh, woman's name is Gretchen Rubin and she does a lot of work around happiness. So she even has like a podcast now about happiness, but her book that I read was called the happiness project. And again, as an adult, and I was like, this book is really good. So if y'all are wanting to like do more research around that, her books, her podcast, she continuously puts out books and they, they're bestsellers because they're so good. If you want to like just do more work and more research around happiness, I would say yeah. I'm gonna check that out. I'm a lifelong learner, um, so doing that, I just recently found out uh, about the PERMA model, P-E-R-M-A model, and the theory of well-being. So tapping mm-hmm. more into that. So I'm always open to whatever people got um, because I think a lot of times we're not humble enough to say, "Oh, I'm still learning," or "I'm still growing," "I'm still evolving." And I think that's another issue that we have sometimes when people are working with people, um, you have to be humble enough to say, hey, you know what? Let me learn more about that. Let me branch out. Let me grow as opposed to coming in a space, which is, I think, another reason a lot of black and brown people are all, um, don't like coming to therapy or sometimes even coaching. Um, it's the attitude that shows up in the space. Right. Where some people have this air of, oh, I have the degree. So you have to listen to me as opposed to I'm here to help you. Right. I am of service to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like in helping people? So, Myra, thank you so much for that. I will look into it. As soon as you said it, I was making a mental note in my head. So I'm making a mental note like, okay, I'm going to check that out because it's important that we are open to learning and evolving because things that I knew three years ago didn't know three years ago I know today and I'm constantly learning and growing in my in my field both of them <laughs> yes learning and growing so today y'all we talked about a few different things we talked about awareness of your emotions we talked about community work and we've talked about several things so Veronica if you had to give one takeaway for our listeners what would you say your takeaway would be oh <laughs> don't be afraid to feel yeah. yes because people are afraid of being vulnerable sometimes or feeling a range of emotions that's what make you human don't be afraid to feel that's it that's it that's that it. thank you so so much uh, I hope that everybody has enjoyed like interacting with Veronica as much as I have. The work that you're doing is so powerful. I, I really, really want to thank you. I know Myra said it. I just want to reiterate it, like the work that you're doing for the community and the fact that you are trying to change narratives and like really help people create the life they want to live. I think that that is amazing. 
and that you in it you know what i'm saying so thank you so much for the work that you do for community and thank you <laughs> thank exactly hype yourself up hype yourself up <laughs> i like i heard it holistic go ahead and then thank you for <clears throat> agreeing to come on our podcast um, because I feel like that, you know, our listeners, we, I, I don't think we've talked about it in this way. And so thank you so much. It's emotional healing piece. So super important. Thank you both for having me. And you both continue to do the good work because I already researched both of y'all already. So yes. <laughs> thank All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed our guest. So to wrap up our episode, I just want to check in with my friend and see how you doing, friend. Okay, good question. <laughs> good question. The long pause oh. was like, I didn't tell you you could ask me that. <laughs> uh, yeah, check in. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like these weeks have been weeks, hours, days have been going by so fast. Like I can't believe that it's about to be Monday again. And July is pretty much this is like the last week, pretty much of July. Um, so I don't know. I've been good. Um, and I've been trying to get out the house a little bit more, even when it comes to like working. I've been working from the office, even though I'm still doing virtual videos. Because I'm just tired of being like, like working from home, sleeping at home, eating at like everything at home, and even right, right, (laughs) and even if I don't want to be, uh, I don't have to be necessarily meeting people face to face, but I can at least get out the house. So that's you know that's how I've been. I've been trying to figure out a way to stay motivated. What about you, friend? I feel like my life has been moving in slow motion, to be quite honest. Like, it's so weird. Yeah, like, it's so weird. Um, Like, it's interesting how, like, you can pray for certain things or, like, manifest certain things and they really happen. So with my full-time job, I was like, you know, I don't want to have more than 10 clients because this job is just draining. And I was like, it'd be cool if my private practice was booming. And I said that on Sunday. And then Monday, I had to discharge, like, two clients. So I'm down to, like, nine. And then in private practice, I got three phone calls of people wanting to work with me. And I said my rate and they were like, okay, that's fine. Whereas like the past few weeks, people have been like, I really, really like you. I feel connected to you, but you're expensive. And I've been like,